Today's episode is sponsored by Craft Industry Alliance. Craft Industry Alliance is a trade association for makers, designers, suppliers, and content creators. I co-founded Craft Industry Alliance along with Kristen Link of the site So Mama So in October of 2015, and we are now at over 1,200 members. Stay on top of industry news and trends and best practices and join a supportive community of fellow business owners. Join today at craftindustryalliance.org. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 105 of the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we're talking about building a career as a designer with my guest, Christine Ricks. Christine is the creative director for Missouri Star Quilt Company's publishing department, working with a team to design and produce their magazines, Block and Mod Block. She's trained as a graphic designer and has taken up quilting as another medium to express her creative self. Christine spent 10 years prior to her current position working in surface pattern design and contributing to several fabric lines for basic grays moda lines. She also contributes to the Modern Quilt Guild's Quilt of the Month and served as president of the Salt Lake Modern Quilt Guild last year. Christine Ricks, welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great talking to you. You've been someone on my radar for a while, so it's really nice to sit down and talk and hear a little bit more about what it is that you do and how you got where you are. Um, So let's start with the Missouri Star Quilt Company. You are the creative director there, as I said, for the publishing um, division, and I wondered what that job entails. I know last week... You are in Hamilton doing some work on the magazine. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, um, it actually entails quite a bit. <laughs> but it's um, a lot to do with layout of the magazine. I oversee all the content that goes into the magazine. Um, I don't necessarily design the quilts, but I review the quilts with our managing editor, Natalie Earnhardt. And um, she and I kind of go over the content and plan out what we want each issue to incorporate and kind of the emphasis on it. And then we kind of move forward with articles. And especially for Block, we we do a lot of stories um, contributed by Jenny Doan and also by um, some of our employees and um, customers as well, which is kind of fun to see that come to fruition as we work with those people. I help with that, and then I also uh, lay out the magazine. Um, Like you said, I have graphic design experience. I've been working in graphic design for over 20 years, more than that probably. (laughs) So I have a lot of experience in just layout and design and work with our photographer studio that is in-house with Missouri Star. And that's actually what I was doing last week in Hamilton. I was um, assisting on the photo shoot that we were doing for this upcoming issue of Block. And can, so, you, can you describe just a little bit about Block, um, like what the magazine is and what it 
what it features and maybe what sets it apart from other quilting magazines that might be on the market? Black is um, really a gray magazine in that it doesn't have any advertising in it, which is something that when we first concepted this idea um, was kind of unheard of. We offer a lot of our our patterns. We have up to 10 patterns that we feature in each magazine, and they come from our tutorials, tutorials that Jenny Doan does um, on our YouTube channel. So we take her, her concept of the blocks and the quilts that she's making, and then we turn them into actual patterns for the magazine. As far as content, like I said, there's 10 patterns. There's usually a couple of other articles along with that. We have Jenny's Classroom, which is really fun. She kind of likes to give tips and techniques. Sometimes we also feature what's happening in the town, um, if you're not aware of it. But we have 13, I think 13 stores on the main street in Hamilton, Missouri. And um, there's a lot of kind of exciting stuff that happens in the town that we're also involved with as well. From a, a community community standpoint and also a quilting standpoint. So sometimes we like to feature what's going on there or if we have new buildings coming um, up or if there's something exciting going on in our employees' lives, sometimes we will feature that as well. And where where is Block sold? Is it just sold at those quilt shops in Hamilton and online, obviously, because Missouri Star has a really robust website, but is it just sold there or is it sold elsewhere? Uh, we do have wholesale for any quilt shop that would like to get the magazine into their own quilts or into their own shops. We have a, a few different avenues. We're looking into a few more in the coming year. But um, as of right now, it's online with subscriptions. Um, if you want to subscribe, you can definitely go to our website and sign up. And then um, if you just want to purchase just one magazine or all of them, you can buy them individually online or in our stores. And like I said, through the shops. I see. And is there a digital version, like an E, you know, E PDF? There is. Okay. Yeah, we do offer a digital version. And that's kind of cool. When you subscribe as a subscription, you get that um, free with your purchase. Uh, Is the price point? I mean, I know there's no advertisements. So um, is the price point similar to other quilting magazines or is it more or less sort of substantially? It's substantially, substantially less, actually. It's $5.99 for each issue, which is a steal in my, in my personal opinion. <laughs> um, most magazines go for $15 to $20 per issue. And yeah, we offer ours at $6 relatively and it's it's a great value. You get 10 patterns in there that are all, you know, inclusive patterns that you can make and use. And um, it's kind of awesome. <laughs> I saw I sometimes see people on the Missouri Star Facebook page showing pictures of their copies. And they've taken them to the like, copy shop and had them spiral bound so yeah. that they can open them flat, which I thought <laughs> was pretty brilliant. Um we get lots of suggestions for that. We, we're actually um, kind of going through a revamp, revamp right now of the magazine. Um, there will be probably some maybe not significant changes in this next coming year, but definitely um, that was kind of one of the topics of discussion is whether or not we 
would offer that as a spiral bound um, version. And I don't know that we're going to do that right now, but there there are some discussions as to offering something similar, maybe in an anniversary issue um, sometime in the future. I say, yeah, because people kind of like it when they can get their book or magazine to lay flat next to them while they're sewing. So that's a, that's a, a good solution. So I'm curious how you got this job, because obviously, you're a graphic designer. So you're qualified and you're quilter, you know, so that's not my question. But it's more around how you connected with Missouri Star. Did you just like see an ad on LinkedIn or something? Or did you make <laughs> did you make a connection at Quilt Market? Or was there some like personal referral? Because, you know, it's always interesting to hear like, how did somebody land where they are? Yeah, it, it was kind of um, serendipitous, actually. Um I was working for Basic Basic Gray at the time, and um, you know we have that connection with Moda as far as um, taking some of the scrapbooking patterns that we had done at Basic Gray and transferring them to fabric designs. So we had a really um, pretty close connection with Moda, and um, not that they really knew me specifically, but um, Al, Al Doan at the time was reaching out to um, various people looking for uh, a director who would help him produce this magazine. And through um, a couple of connections that he had through um, Moda and others, he made the connection with my, my, my boss at Basic Gray and was able to kind of talk to her about the project and kind of wheeled and dealed and finally got her to give her number, my number to her, to him. And, um, we kind of met up and talked and I was very interested at the time, kind of ready to make some changes in my own life and kind of interested in, in having some creative freedom as far as just taking this little magazine and making it my own. So it was kind of a, kind of a perfect, perfect storm that happened as far as, um, transferring pretty seamlessly from basic grade to Missouri star. But yeah, it does. Those kind of experiences definitely, um, it's all about kind of who, you know, and, uh, I know a lot of times that, that especially for people who may be listening and that's kind of frustrating to hear, but you never know what kind of connections you'll make. Um, so I, I always kind of, look forward to just opportunities to talk to new people and to make new connections. And even if I hadn't really been interested in this job initially, it was just a good opportunity to, to talk to Al and kind of get to know him better. So it just ended up working out for me. Yeah, that's a great in point. The end. Yeah, it's a great point to, to make, which is that even if you feel as though, oh, no, you know, I, I'm not interested in that sort of job. It is still interesting to take the call and hear a little bit more. And one thing does lead to another sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't. But just to, to just to hear somebody out and to, to find out more is always worth doing, I think. And um, and did did Block exist at that time, or was it like a concept, and they hired you to kind of make it a reality? It was a concept, yeah. And I'm wondering why they decided to self-publish, because it seems to me like pretty unusual step for I mean, granted, Missouri Star is a pretty unusual 
business. It's not not your run in the mill quilt <laughs> shop. There's probably nothing really like it, you know, uh, at least not in the United States. But so it is already coming from an unusual place. But then to say, well, we're going to self publish this magazine and do this all in house. I mean, it's it's a big step. So I, mm-hmm. I, do you know anything about the background there? Um, it was a it was just an idea that Al had, and I don't know if you know much about him, but he's very much an entrepreneur. Um, he is highly involved in a lot of different small business ventures, and um, they had the content. They um, had the ability to take and write the patterns that they needed, and I think his vision really kind of spurred that on as far as just being able to make it happen. Uh, it started out just being three people working on this magazine, <laughs> which is kind of crazy. I'm sure for a lot of publishing companies out there to like hear that, but it was me, um, Natalie Earnhardt, and um, a cop- well, not copywriter. She was a pattern writer at the time um, that kind of spurred this into reality, and it was luckily. Um, a success. (laughs) We were able to kind of do it. And now we have um, a larger team of people to help us to accomplish it. But it really was just kind of this, this personal project that Natalie and I took on and really just passionately made it happen. And it has been a great experience to be a part of it. It's been really fun. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah. And you work remotely, right? Because Missouri Star, as we said, is in Hamilton, Missouri, and you're in Salt Lake City. That's correct. Okay. So do you do a lot of the work remotely, like as a contractor, and then you just fly out to Hamilton for like the photo shoots and maybe some other things? I'm actually a full-time employee. I am remote. Um, but a lot of the things that I do is just um, communicating information to other people. Like I said, I do most of the layout, so that information just gets fed into me. And then up until just about a year ago, we were doing uh, photo shoots here in Salt Lake with a photography company here. And that worked really well. They would just ship the quilts to me when the time came for us to photo shoot. And um, then I'd ship them back or take them back with me when I was flying back there. I I fly back there every couple of months now. Um, It wasn't quite as much when I was um, doing the photo shoots in Salt Lake, but now I'm usually there every couple of months and um, kind of meeting with people. I'll, I'll be there for a week and get our photo shoots in and some meetings and it's worked out really well. It's surprisingly easy to handle. Yeah. Yeah. It's a neat working, you know, sort of setup. You know, it's sort of mostly remote, um, which is interesting as a full-time employee. So, um, but I think that's cool. You know, it's a lot is possible now. You don't always have to be right there on site. So, um, you know, you can keep your lifestyle the way it was and and still do this, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, it's definitely um, something I I feel lucky to be able to do. I enjoy it, and I enjoy working from home too. It's it's great. I can't can't complain. It's been really a great experience. Yeah, I'm a fan of working from home as well. So so, uh, I'm just wondering about your upbringing. Did you, 
um, grow up in a creative household? Were you always, you know, a maker and a creative person? Um, yeah, I was. I actually have some grandparents that are pretty creative. And then um, my father was an architect um, by profession. And my mother, she is a school, she was a school teacher, she's retired now. But um, I look back on that. And I don't know that a lot of obviously a create creativity was expressed as a form of of being able to express myself um, from an early age. I remember just being really interested in art and loving that experience of just making things. Um, and I think just the encouragement of those people, my parents and my grandparents, to kind of spur me along to continue to do that was really influential. Imp- influential for me. So yeah, I definitely I took art classes all through high school and um, got into a program at Ricks College at the time. It's now BYU Hawaii or BYU Idaho. And that was um, really the start of my graphic design experience. I did a lot of just fine art when I was in high school. but then I got into the graphic design program and started from there and transferred to BYU um, after a couple of years and got my associates with Ricks College and then my BFA with BYU. I see. And um, and were you, I'm not sure how old you are, but were, was your training like <laughs> in, you know, um, Illustrator, Adobe Illustrator and Adobe products, or were you sort of there before that hit or sort of what did you use in college (laughs) (laughs) I used a printer no um I I actually was on just the cusp of when um Adobe was coming on the scene there um and computers were kind of being more utilized in that process I do remember a little bit of the stat machines and um used to do layout with wax and cutting little strips of paper type and putting it all together. That was, I think, definitely towards the end end of um, where I was beginning. So I didn't really have a ton of experience with that, but I do remember the process a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm not that old, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I still had... Um, Definite experiences with PageMaker and Quark Express, which are programs that probably most millennials have no idea about. But um, it was really, it was really kind of fascinating and interesting to see how that changed things perspectively for graphic design. Um, I kind of actually missed some of the layout aspects and the kind of hands-on experiences that graphic design used to offer, but. I am definitely grateful for computers these days. I don't know how I'd be able to do my job without them at this point. So it's been it's been a grateful experience to just be able to learn those programs and be be able to have a lot of experience working with them. Yeah, I mean, maybe quilting in some way fills the gap of the hands-on design. I mean, it's obviously not graphic design, but I feel like there are some elements that are similar. You're designing on a, you know, a a 2D um, backdrop and a lot of it has to do with color and composition and layout. I mean, there are some similarities and I find that there's quite a few graphic designers who have become quilt designers, perhaps for that reason that it's a little bit more hands-on, but still sort of scratches the same itch. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. Um, it was kind of funny because, uh, I, I've really only been quilting for about six years and, um, that's actually part of what got me the job at Missouri star as well as that Al was specifically looking for someone who had some quilting experience. He didn't think that just hiring a graphic designer that was out of school or, you know, had a lot of just other experience would really make, make the cut or fit the bill for this magazine. And it really has made a huge difference. Um, definitely having that experience um, under my belt made the job a, a whole lot easier and able to kind of comprehend kind of the the big picture, but also the nuances of just pattern writing and how things would lay out and how we wanted it to flow. So that was really kind of a great opportunity for me to get involved in quilting. It definitely goes back to my my surface design and my pattern pattern design experience where I have this great love of fabric and patterns and kind of seeing that and then incorporating that into another sort of way of including those patterns in another layout or another design was really kind of right up my alley. I want to take a minute now to talk about Craft Industry Alliance, the sponsor of today's episode. I'm a co-founder of Craft Industry Alliance, and I have my co-founder here with me, Kristen Link of the site So Mama So. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Abby. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. So do you want to explain a little bit about who Craft Industry Alliance is best for? Um, One of the things I'm most proud of is the career diversity of our members. We always suspected that the sewing maker community would join because those are our friends and colleagues. But I'm really glad we've also been able to get members from the yarn, paper crafts, ceramics, uh, and jewelry communities We have makers, designers, retailers, authors, and teachers. It's also really wonderful to see so many people join who are service providers to the craft community. They're photographers, copy editors, graphic designers, accountants, and lawyers who make their living by working with craft professionals. Membership includes a lot of neat things. So um, first you get a twice monthly digital journal with professionally written articles about what's happening in the industry and delving into best practices for things like contracts, insurance, bookkeeping, and all that good stuff. And then we also hold a webinar every month, which is taught by an industry expert. And we have had so many terrific webinars over the two years that we've been up and running, including one that was one of my favorites taught by Kate All of Simple Pin Media, all about Pinterest for craft business owners. And this month we heard from brick and mortar shop owners about what is happening in craft retail, which was also a fantastic webinar. And if you join Craft Industry Alliance today, you get access to the archives of all of those webinars and all of our past journal issues. And then we also have a lot of things for building community among members. Do you want to talk a little bit about our forums and meetups? Sure. Uh, in our online forums, we uh, our members discuss business issues. They discuss like where to buy certain products, recommendations for teaching platforms, accounting questions, and so on. 
Additionally, they're making connections. So when someone needs an editor or a photographer, they can actually find someone right there in our forums. We also have a coffee clutch, we call it. What it is is an online meeting twice a month. It's um, open-ended. So our members come and they grab a cup of coffee and it might be a dozen members and they can see each other on the screen. And they talk about important issues and bounce ideas off of each other and ask questions. It's really neat. Yeah, this has been wonderful. So Craft Industry Alliance is affordable for businesses of all sizes. You can join for six months to try it out, or you can commit for a year and save a little bit on membership. And I encourage you to head over to craftindustryalliance.org and check it out. Thank you for joining me, Kristen. Thanks, Abby. And now back to my conversation with Christine. How did you get introduced to quilting? Did you see uh, like an, an ad for a class or did a friend show you, you know, some quilting? So a lot of people, I feel like, especially in the modern quilt movement, you know, sort of went and saw an exhibit of the G's Bend quilts. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh, my gosh, this is mm-hmm. what I need to do. I don't know what your story is as far as being introduced to, to quilting and sort of and deciding, hey, I'm going to cut up some fabric and try this. Yeah, it's kind of interesting, actually, because I had experiences with both of those things fairly early on. Um, I remember in my early 30s, I'm, I'm 40, 44, <laughs> I can't remember how old I am, um, 45, and then um, deciding that I wanted to make a quilt for myself for some reason. I had had this idea in the back of my head that I was like, oh, I I'm in my 30s. I need to have this rite of passage where I make myself a quilt, which is really funny now that I think about it. I still have that quilt and I look at it and I'm like, oh, wow, that's so not my style anymore. But um, I started with that and then I had a friend who gave me a, a G's Bend um, book that she gifted me for a birthday present and I loved it. I just turn those pages and still just I'm in awe of everything that's in there. So that was early on. And then about six years ago, I had a friend uh, living in my neighborhood who was an avid quilter and a part of the Salt Lake Modern Quilt Guild here when it first started to kind of become more popular. And I think that was really kind of in the early days of the, the National Modern Quilt Guild movement. But um, she was she was heavily involved in that, had some really good friends that were quilters, and she decided that she was going to share that talent with a few of her other close friends and um, started a little quilting bee. And that was really my first, my first real experience um, delving into what quilting was. And every month we, w- we got together and sewed, and it was really kind of... I really mostly saw it as just a social aspect. I really didn't see myself like getting into quilting but I remember that first um, gathering that we got together and I didn't even have my own sewing machine at the time. I borrowed my mother's and um, we met and started sewing one of these blocks and it just like immediately turned something on inside of me. And I went, I went away from that experience that evening, like dreaming of all these quilts that I was going to make and, just really kind of caught fire and I haven't really turned back since I've been making quilts for quite a while now and it's still kind of an exciting experience to go through I I don't really follow a lot of patterns um I like to kind of create my own um or 
revise the ones that I see and kind of make them my own. So that's been kind of fun for me to also experience as far as this process goes. And I, I was watching um, a video of you at QuiltCon, <laughs> um, at QuiltCon 2017 in Savannah, I believe. Um, yep. You were talking about the quilt that you, I mean, maybe you had more than one quilt that, on display there, but you were talking about one of the ones that you um, had on display. And um, we're talking a little bit about your influences in designing. And this one was really influenced by mid-century modern design. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Funky Medina, which has like a really 80s name to it. (laughs) So it's not really super appropriate. But um, yeah, that was a really fun quilt to do. um, To do I um, the first that was the second quilt that I had entered in the um, Modern Quilt Guild quilt of the month that was accepted. Uh, And that was kind of my first experience with paper piecing. I have all these ideas but sometimes they're not really the typical or traditional block experience and so I had done kind of a variation of a smaller sketch that I had been working on and experimented a little bit with paper um, foundation paper piecing and was like oh this is kind of fun and I can just make whatever I want and just fit it to these pieces that kind of opened a whole new experience for me as far as what I could create and make. And so I started with the Funky Medina as just kind of an oversized, fairly simple paper piecing experiment. And it was just really kind of of modern and bright colors and um, just really enjoyed putting that together and and making something that was fairly unique, but also just really kind of honed in on my own experiences with learning and growing with that process. And you were saying that you submitted that one and it was accepted to the um, Modern Quilt Guild's Quilt of the Month. Do you want to explain that program and how that works? And um, is it open for submissions? So if listeners are out there and are members of the Modern Quilt Guild and want to have one of their designs considered? Yeah, it's great. Um, the first year, I think we're going on to our fourth year, I, I submitted a design in the very beginning that they started that program um, through their website. They had just a call for entries, and I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. Maybe I'll do that, and came up with a couple of designs. Um, they just usually um, accept, you don't have to do a full quilt to um, submit your design, just a sketch or an EQ design um, can be just fine. And then you just go to their website. I believe there's a link that you can go to and um, fill out just a bunch of typical information and then submit a JPEG or probably just a JPEG or a screen capture of your design. And that goes into their database. And then um, I believe it's Rianne that is the one that kind of takes that and looks things over. And then they kind of pick the the designs they feel are most relevant or interesting to what they're doing that year. And then they, they reach back out to you and say, hey, we liked your quilt. Would you make a pattern out of it? And so I then end up making the quilt, making the pattern, and sending it back into them. Um, and that's within probably three to six months of the, the deadline. And you can pick which month you prefer if, if – 
you need more time, you know, you can have it towards the end of the year or if you have it already done, sometimes it's earlier. But yeah, they're really they're really great to work with. I've really enjoyed working with the Modern Quilt Guild and love the programs that they're doing. That's one of my favorites, um, especially because it's just anybody can do it. And it's very, very kind of a simple process. If you have an idea, you just submit it and, you know, it goes into this database of things they they're always kind of looking for people to do that for them there's always kind of a call for entries not necessarily for that program but for um any sort of content articles and web webinars and things like that so they're really open to whatever you think you might have an idea for if you're interested they do pay a small amount of money to go towards that it's been a great experience for me it's I really honestly didn't think I would be selected because there's so many amazing people out there that are making really awesome things but it's been kind of a fun experience and I've really enjoyed it and it's been really challenging to as well to kind of I feel like it's helped me hone in on my style of quilting a little bit to kind of as I as I'm designing I I have so many ideas for quilts. Sometimes I feel like they're kind of all over the place and it's really kind of helped me figure out what my own personal style is, what I enjoy and what I'd want to put on my walls or on my bed or, you know, have hanging in my house. So it's been, it's really been a great experience for me personally. Yeah, And that's a good way to get published. And it sounds like you can even get published for the very first time and get paid for your work as well. So that's mm-hmm. a great opportunity to know about. And, um, you know, membership to the Modern Quilt Guild is fairly inexpensive. And if there isn't one near you, you can become an independent, an individual member. So you don't need to be part of a, a larger group if there isn't one near you. So um, so that's good to know about. And and you um, you were uh, just, just finishing up with the Modern Quilt Guild. You became president of the Salt Lake Modern Quilt Guild last year. And I just wondered what that experience was like. Was there, what, what were the learnings that you took away? You know, I'm assuming I mean, that's quite a big job so I don't know how many members you have and, and that sort of thing but um, what did you take away from that experience what was what was particularly challenging or rewarding I took away from that experience realizing that I didn't really know what I was doing <laughs> <laughs> but in a good way I guess uh, uh, it was really kind of a fun experience we had had a um, a modern quilt guild president for several years prior to that and she I could tell was getting burned out. And so um, me and one, one other woman decided that we kind of come together and not really having much experience in the modern guild arena, um, just decided to kind of see if we could kind of refresh things a little bit and kind of invigorate people a little bit more than had been done. Um, so it really was, it was just a fun opportunity for me to kind of get to know more of the women in my area and kind of relate to them on kind of more of a personal level than I had previously. Um, but there really is so much you can do with guilds. I'm, I'm learning that more and more. I, I've been able to attend um, a couple of other guilds. I went to the Kansas City Modern Quilt Guild um, a couple of months ago and then also attended the Denver uh, Metro Modern Quilt Guild uh, prior to that and it's just amazing what these women are doing and creating and the the things and ideas that they're coming up with to kind of motivate their members and to offer opportunities of creativity and exploration it's been really eye-opening to me I, I don't know that I made a huge dent in our Modern Quilt Guild um, my schedule changed quite a bit 
in this last year. And so I was, I wasn't able to continue my presidency, but uh, I feel like our guild is fairly small. We have about 20, 23 active members that come every month and it's just a really good tight knit group. And we, we have a lot of fun, but I, I really feel like there's so much more that, that we can do as far as the, the modern quilt mo- movement, just helping people realize what that is and what it means and um, how it can inspire this younger generation of people to start quilting. And I think there's just so many doors that can be opened still to that. I would love to see that happen more in quilt exhibits. Uh, I, I think we have a fairly good quilting community. I know that there are a lot of just regular quilt guilds and in my neck of the woods that um, are really interested in this modern movement. We were invited at one point to go and speak to one of them and they just really were such a fun group and enjoyed hearing about all of our quilt experiences and also, you know, kind of offering their own tutorials of how to take care of things and, you know, things that this young, our younger generation of quilters, you know, we love to use our quilts and, you know, they're more about preservation and we learned a lot about how to, how to fold our quilts (laughs) specifically and take care of them in a more um, caring way. But it's, it's just kind of, I just love this community and everyone that is kind of involved. It's been really fun to get to know them better and um, learn from them. Yeah, I like, I like the way that um, quilting is uh, a way to bridge generations and also to build relationships. Mm -hmm. You know, when you get really involved in something like this, just to be able to meet people, um, you know, on a global scale, obviously online, but also just in your local area in, you know, your local community that you may not have encountered. But, you know, through this mutual love, you get to know. And I think that's really nice. And there's so much potential there for all kinds of neat things to happen. So Yeah, I've never met a, an angry quilter, honestly. <laughs> there <laughs> are some. To be there really some, happy but... <laughs> and, and positive. So I just love it's, being able to talk to them and get yeah. to know them Sure. And bonding over a creative pursuit is really nice. So I want to um, step back to basic gray for a little bit. Bit. And we you touched on it earlier, but I'd love to, you know, just flesh that out a little bit more. And so basic gray, it was really uh, a company. I mean, it still exists, I, I guess, in a, in a sort of somewhat different form, but it was really a company mm-hmm. that launched at the height of the scrapbooking boom or was really a big participant in scrapbooking um, and and is now sort of not in the paper business anymore and is focusing on on fabric so were you there for that whole transition i i came in probably i actually had been working for another uh, scrapbooking company prior to that here in utah we have quite a few of them Um, but i was working for a design firm that was taking on kind of the rebranding of this other company so i i had previous to that some some experience with scrapbooking and then um moved on to basic gray and had the opportunity to create some lines for, for them. And also then came full time on board with them to create and help them with their, their current 
product list. But yeah, we're it was it's kind of been a really interesting experience to see how scrapbooking has changed in the last five years. Um, yeah. So what was scrapbooking when you first started there? I mean, just so take us back because I think, you know, there is crossover between quilting and scrapbooking. Um, and in, in some ways, I don't know, the industry, these are industries that are somewhat in flux. So it's interesting yeah. to hear how scrap, I mean, scrapbooking, I think, uh, maybe o- overall in crafting has really been in flux because of, you know, everything digital changed scrapbooking so, so much. Um, mm-hmm. And we've seen so many companies come and go so or have to really pivot. Um, so what was scrapbooking like when you first got there? It was still really um, quite popular. I feel like Basic Gray was especially uh, influential in that trend, if we can call it that of um crafting in that they came out with a really kind of and rachel brinchley she's um the visionary in that in that um company and really saw this as a potential to create some awesome pattern designs and that was really basic gray was always kind of to her more of a surface design company um she always had ideas and thoughts about taking it to a lot of different areas rather than scrapbooking, but scrapbooking ended up being really the most effective way to get their designs out. But she had a really interesting and different vision as far as just what that meant. And I think that was kind of the turning point for her and that company is just being able to have this different perspective and, and introducing that into a fairly at that at that time period, a fairly generic um, form of scrapbooking. She started to introduce, you know, it as more of an art form, and the patterns that she created, and the papers that she created, and the the elements that kind of complemented those things were really more artistic than they had been previously, and that really caught fire. It came on probably a couple years after that, and created my own wine for them called Stella Ruby at the time. And then um, uh, probably maybe six months later ended up working for them full time. So it, it was kind of um, at the peak of I feel like that involvement that I kind of came into the loop and it was just really kind of a fun, exciting experience for me to be involved with them. And around what year was that? I'm curious. Oh, years. I'm horrible with years. <laughs> was it maybe like 2010 or eight, something like I'm, I'm just guessing, but somewhere in there. Yeah, it was okay. probably 2008. Okay. Is when I was and I, I know like they would go to the trade show, I guess, maybe just to the craft and hobby trade show, the, mm-hmm. what was then called the mega show. And there would be like this huge, like craziness around their booth. <laughs> yeah, they were kind of like the cotton and steel of scrapbooking. Okay. I would so that gives people a good, to. I think that's a good <laughs> analogy. So people can be like, oh, okay, now I see what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were, they were really different and kind of had some fresh new ideas that they brought to the table that people were really excited about. So it was really fun to be a part of that. Mm-hmm. And then so and then everything kind of changed, you know, between then, I guess, and now, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge, like, follower of the scrapbooking industry, but I just know that a lot of this sort of went online, or um, I don't know what, you know, exactly what happened um, 
with, you know, basic grain in particular, but they, you know, you were seeing that Rachel really wanted this to be a surface pattern company. And so you can put those same designs that you might put on a paper onto fabric. And so um, there was like a, a contract with Moda and you were involved in that. Yeah, that, that contract was with Rachel, but um, I say, but when I was brought on full time, you know, all those, all those patterns that we created as a team together or um, con- contributed to those fabric lines. And so intermittently, you know, all my, my designs were put on fabric as well because they, they use those paper designs that we create for scrapbooking and just transfer them to a uh, fabric. Yeah. So that was, that was a really fun experience and it gave me some really interesting background experience to kind of the process of taking a digital pattern and making it into fabric. It's really kind of a, an interesting process and probably a little bit more than people kind of realize it goes into that when in what way? going like, through that process. What do people sort of not really realize? They sort of look at a fabric collection and, and assume one thing, but really it's more complex. Yeah, there's a lot of like just size um, variations and color variations that kind of come into play with that where you know, we would offer the color variations and then Moto would come back with a lot of different swatches. Strike-offs, I think is what they're called. And, you know, we would have to pick from those. We'd have probably 40 strike-offs. And from that, we would only be allowed, you know, four, or not 40, but like 20 designs. So we'd have to like cut that down in half. Um, And in some cases it was easy, in some cases it was not. In some cases we were like, oh, that scale is way too big. We didn't realize that that was going to be such a big part of the design. And just there's a lot of different elements that go into creating fabric that when you're you're thinking of a line especially, there's a lot of different things to consider where whether it's scale or how the color kind of creates or how those two-tone patterns work with the four color patterns and you kind of need a hero and something that kind of spurs the line forward which is very typical in scrapbooking as well we'd have like two two to three heroes in our in our scrapbooking line collection and then we'd build off of those to create like more supportive patterns and right and the hero is just like a a print that is super eye-catching or sort Mm -hmm. of as the centerpiece and then the other pieces Mm -hmm. support that one right right yeah but transferring that from scrapbooking to fabric is a little bit of a, you know, a little bit of a different process where you're thinking how people are going to use this fabric in a quilt or in any other kind of crafting or fabric designs. Um, you know, there's a little bit of that that goes into it as well. Yeah. And from talking to other people who, um, who do this kind of work, it sounds to me like if you are a quilter, you have a better sense of how to design quilting fabrics versus if (laughs) you really come at it just as a surface designer um, and you've never made a quilt, understanding how somebody is going to cut that fabric up and use it, sew it back together with other fabrics um, in a quilt is really informative as, you know, when it comes to actually designing what Mm -hmm. the prints are going to look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. Um, a lot of people have this dream of becoming a fabric designer and I think becoming a quilter is one way to 
improve maybe <laughs> when mm-hmm. your portfolio looks like. Okay, so um, let me just ask one couple final questions. First, do you keep a sketchbook? I don't really. I should. I I would like to. I'm I'm not as good at at doing that sort of thing than I that I'd like. I've actually um, been trying to do a little bit more watercolor. Um, take taking my watercolors places and just actually painting to kind of get away from the computer and work on that a little bit more to just kind of break my my ability to. <laughs> to draw again and to kind of remind my body that this is something that I, I am able to do. But I, I think I spend so much time kind of in managerial pers- pursuits and working with the magazine that um, sometimes my creative side kind of ends up going out the door. So I've been trying to kind of get better in touch with that again. I actually just bought an iPad Pro to kind of help me with that which is not really escaping from the computer, <laughs> but it, it does kind of feel a little bit different where the the pen kind of offers some opportunities to to feel like you're drawing. But and then you could still some- have the the luxury of erasing stuff if you don't like it. <laughs> there's some good um there's some good Adobe apps for that. Yeah. I've really I've been kind of um experimenting with Adobe Draw and Adobe Sketch and Procreate is also a really cool one that I feel like has a lot of potential, but I'm not quite there yet. (laughs) I need to kind of learn that program a little bit better. Okay. And do you have other things that you like doing in your free time? Do you do yoga or are you a runner or anything like that? Yeah, I love yoga. Um, I do. I try to do that every day. It just kind of helps with my own sanity and just physically helps me from hopefully counteracting all the sitting that I do for most of the day. I love to be outdoors. I love hiking um, and uh, try to get into the mountains here in Utah as much as I can to just kind of rejuvenate myself. Um, I love to bake. I have a dog, so we go on lots of walks and playing in the park. She's kind of my constant companion and coworker. <laughs> Although she needs to like step it up as far as her workload goes. <laughs> Just like sitting there looking at you while you work. Yeah, all day long. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, but yeah, I um, I paddleboard. I actually just bought a, a paddleboard this year and I've been kind of doing more of that, which has been fun. Wow, and what? Where do you do that? We have a lot of lakes up in the mountains here, oh, and so okay. we we just go up to the mountains, and it, it's usually best to find like a little bit of a less what is it called choppy lake where it's a little more serene and doesn't get a lot of wind and stuff to do that sort of sort of thing. Um, but yeah, it's we have a lot of different areas that we can kind of go up to and. They're about, you know, 30 minutes away from me, which is always nice. Yeah, I've never been to Utah, so that sounds gorgeous. Um, Yeah. 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 So I want to make sure we get to your recommendations. So you have um, two things to recommend. The first one is Robert Kaufman's Railroad Denims, which you are saying that you (laughs) find yourself using in all different kinds of projects. Yeah, I can't get enough of them um, as of late. It started with the Funky Medina quilt that I made, and it just has kind of a continue to be drawn to that collection. Um, And denims in general are kind of 
where I've been experimenting. I love their chambrays, um, their stripes, anything with stripes in it right now. I just kind of really love, and I love especially seeing how other people are using them a lot in their quilts. Um, Gingham also is kind of starting to peek its head through a lot of different people's designs, and that's been really fun to see as well. But yeah, I can't get enough of those stripes and those denims for some reason. I can't, I can't get myself out of that color palette. I just, I might start calling it my blue period because I can't, <laughs> I can't escape it. And are they, are they, so every time they, I drop or something, I'm grabbing for it. Are they as Sorry, thick as, um, are they as thick as like a jean denim or are they, they're a thinner hand? They're not as thick as a jean denim. They're actually a little bit, a little bit thinner. Um, but, I've also been using a heavier denim as well. I just love the feel of it. When you put it in a quilt, it just is so heavy. Yeah. Um, and kind of just makes that quilt just so cozy and awesome. <laughs> yeah. And they're going to wear forever because, you know, denim lasts for a, such a long time. It does. And I think there's some antimicrobial, you know, sort of qualities of denim like wool where I just feel like, you know, you you don't have to wash your jeans all the time. You know, you can wear them oh, a bunch yeah. of times. So I feel like that's also probably a good thing in a quilt, you know. Oh, that's true. I didn't think about that. <laughs> it's hardy. Um, <laughs> and then you, you were saying that you also enjoy doing some improv work, especially inspired by Sherry Lynn Woods, 100 Days of Improv, and she's a past guest on this podcast and somebody who I really am inspired by as well. Oh, yeah. She's my quilting hero. I just think she's amazing. <laughs> um, uh, I took a class from her a couple of quilt cons ago um, in Pasadena and just was really inspired by just her technique. Um, she as a person in general is just lovely and kind and just the most the most genuine person I think that I I know and that's probably saying as a very like blanket statement but she really is quite lovely and kind and I really just enjoyed getting to know her better but yeah she had this challenge 100 days of improv and I I kind of took that at the beginning of the year and started doing it just as a way of kind of re-sparking my, my creativity that's feel like I feel like this year has kind of been that for me in a lot of different um, variables, just trying to kind of remember what it's like to be more creative and, and try to live more creatively in my personal life. So I started doing that uh, once once every day I would get, I get to my sewing machine and just kind of sew these little pieces together and I just really enjoyed it. It was so therapeutic for me after a day of sitting in front of the computer um, to just sit down at a, at a sewing machine for 15 or 20 minutes. It usually ended up being more because I wanted to just keep going, <laughs> but it's been really fun. Um, I've actually created one quilt from that experience and I have another one that just needs to be kind of pulled together, but I've been really kind of trying to be a little bit more thoughtful with that process. And I would actually like to see if I can try and enter it into QuiltCon this year. So that's kind of what I'm working on at the moment. Um, but it's really just been, if anyone feels uncreative, my, my personal suggestion is to you, that person would be to just, if you love quilting and you know, you love quilting, just try and do a little bit of it every day. I've really, um, felt the benefits of that and just being able to sit down and create something every day that is lovely and it might not be perfect and it might be 
something you're like, well, that was interesting experience, but I really felt that creativity spurs creativity. When you do that, it brings other ideas to the foreground or helps you kind of work through some other things that you might be struggling with um, personally or just in your creative life. I, I've really found some benefits from that that I've really enjoyed. So yeah, and when you have to do it every day, do it. <laughs> it becomes a lot less precious. You know, um, the stakes are lower, and there's something so so freeing about that, where you're just giving yourself permission to. You know, I always say to my kids, you need to have enough supplies and enough time, enough permission just to fail a whole lot of times, you know, so it's like just, you know, putting these things together every day and there's no expectation beyond the fact that you sat down and did it. And that's the expectation instead of it being, you know, the finished product has to be this perfectly composed thing or something. Right. Yeah. There's no pressure there at all. It's just like, oh, I, I think I'll just take these little scraps and make something. And, oh, that turned out really interesting. Or, oh, I don't like that at all. Or that was really fun. I want to do more of that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's great. Yeah, it can be really fun. The expectation is really just on the doing itself. And that removes mm-hmm. the <laughs> that removes the expectation being on the final product. And as you said, creativity be- exactly. begets creativity. So the more you do it and flex the muscle, the more you want to do it, and the more great stuff does eventually come forth. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Well, Christine, thank you so much for just taking the time to sit down and talk with me after I know what was a really busy week last week out in <laughs> Hamilton. So thank you for being a guest on the Walshy Naps podcast. You're welcome. I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was great. And you've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. Today's episode was sponsored by Craft Industry Alliance, a vibrant trade association for makers, designers, suppliers, and content creators in the craft industry. Whether you quilt, knit, crochet, embroider, cross-stitch, or scrapbook, if you have a business in the industry, we are here to support you and provide you with up-to-date information on news, trends, best practices, and more. Join today at craftindustryalliance.org. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time. Mm